Hello everyone, it's your host, Luke West, back with another episode of Imperfect, where we discuss topics of masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposely. On this episode, Mark Metry and I go deeper into our conversations about social anxiety, social isolation, depression, toxic masculinity, what success really means, and much more. Mark Metry is a Forbes-featured TEDx keynote speaker and podcast host of the Humans 2.0 podcast. He has a book coming out, Mark. March 14th called Screw Being Shy. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about that as well, but I hope you enjoy this episode. Mark, I'm so excited for you to be here and to have you on as a guest. Um, I know I've engaged with a lot of your content on LinkedIn, and that's kind of how we got connected. And even through your posts, that's how I've been connected to actually about eight or nine of my upcoming guests is mostly through you. So thank you for everything you do for the podcasting community. Thanks, bro. I really appreciate that, man. I mean, it's like, it's so interesting because I just got into it in like 2017. And it's just so cool to see that this platform can give a voice to a lot of people and act as a real you know, one step towards a community. So, you know, to have impacted people on that, that's pretty cool. Fully respect uh, that. But my first question I always ask my guests now is who is one person, dead or alive, that you would have over for dinner? What would you cook for them? And what would you talk about? So I would probably say, I don't know how this would turn out, but um, I would probably say Tim Ferriss. And I mean, do you know Tim Ferriss? I know of him, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, he he hosts like a massive podcast, advises startups, just a, a thousand things, changes the world. And uh, once upon a time in my life, when I um, was in college and I was uh, suicidal at one point, I remember listening to a podcast from Tim Ferriss. And it was this podcast where he talked about how he was suicidal uh, in college too. And when I was listening to that, I was just like, wait, you know, I'm listening to this guy talk that was once in the position that I am literally in right now. He got out of it. He's doing awesome things. And so I'd definitely love to grab dinner with him, and I hope to do so. I definitely see that as a goal for sure. That's definitely attainable. So we'll see. Yeah. No, I actually have his book, uh, Tribe of Mentors, and I've gotten through a bit of it, not a lot of it, but that was one of the first books I realized just like the power of people. And I've always liked people, but you never really know about people's real stories until you ask the right questions. And that's how I loved, that's why I love Tim Ferriss is that it seems like he puts more work and craft into his question asking than almost who he interviews because he's realized you can pull information out of anyone. Yeah, I definitely think that's the answer, man. And it's funny because I was, um, I had a chance to interview the executive director at MIT, uh, Hal Gregerson. You know, if you don't know this guy, this guy's a titan. This guy's interviewed um, thousands of the world's most successful people, literally from like Steve Jobs to um, Elon Musk to Jeff Bezos to just thousands and thousands of the, you know, the top leaders in all their fields. And he wrote this book called Questions Are the Answer. It's like the more you kind of get down, the more you realize that answers are very limited you know when you are able to ask a question you are opening up curiosity you're opening up a potential different future you know you see this a lot too you know trying to give people advice in terms of like you know you can talk and talk and give information to a mind but if it's closed then 
you can't brute force. You can't think your way in. But if you are able to put somebody, maybe shift their perspective so that they can maybe ask themselves a different question, then I think that's how you can really, you know, change your perspective on life and, you know, change your outlook, change your mindset, change your life. And so, you know, I think that's awesome what you said. Yeah. And for all of my listeners, I guess, why don't you give a little bit of an introduction of who you are and what you do? Because I've listened to your podcast a lot and I've actually gotten a lot of my question asking or, you know, my inspiration from some of some of how the way you've interviewed people. And like, that's what I like to do and pull from podcasts now that I have one. So why don't you give a little bit of, of who you are and your background? Yeah, man, my name is Mark. I'm honestly just like some 22-year-old guy on the East Coast of the United States in Boston, Massachusetts. And honestly, you know, I just um, I just try my best to express myself. I try my best to wake up every morning and see how, you know, one, I can grow myself. Number two, uh, be of service to other people. And, you know, for sure, I'm definitely a young guy, but I've definitely had my fair share of experiences where, You know, I think like all of us, you learn through life by trial and error, by having bad experiences and learning from them and failing. And so, you know, I think that um, everything I do comes across with that. And like you say, I host um, I host a top 100 podcast called Humans 2.0 that I literally just started from my laptop that (laughs) totally just blew up and took on a life of its own. I run a, a business. I advise some some startups and some nonprofits. I am an author, soon to be author, in a few weeks, March 14th, uh, of this book called Screw Being Shy. Learn how to manage social anxiety and be yourself in front of anyone. And it's really just a guide, a uh, potential roadmap for someone to, you know, someone who experiences being overly shy and being socially anxious in front of other people. Um, you know, a lot of people are labeled as um, quiet or shy. And, you know, it's okay to be quiet. It's okay to maybe at times be shy, for sure. But, you know, everyone to a degree on a spectrum experiences moments of feeling shy. There's some people that experience that all the time. And it's just part of their life. For a lot of people, they experience that so much that it almost begins to blend in. And so, you know, I wrote this book, comes out March 14th. Uh, I'm on an Amazon Prime documentary series called The Social Movement. Yeah. And so, like, in terms of your journey of this self-expression, what was kind of the starting point for you to share that side of you, that sideness side, you know, that socially anxious side, because, you know, from, from everything I've read and I've seen, you had a very fluctuous childhood in terms of your entrepreneurship and and then going from like kind of losing that and, and kind of having isolation and depression. So what was kind of your starting point for shifting your life like this? Yeah. So, you know, I'm very grateful to say that I've always been an entrepreneur I've always been launching things from the start of just ever since I remember being alive. And I remember being um, pretty financially set, self-made by like 15, 16. And so when that happened, essentially, I began to ask, going back to questions, I began to ask myself bigger questions in terms of, you know, I, 
um, you know, grew up in my life with not a lot of money. Uh, my parents came to this country with $200, mostly grew up on government subsidies, housing, food stamps. And, you know, I kind of lived just in that lifestyle. I didn't necessarily want to become super rich, but, you know, I ended up becoming rich and successful uh, at a pretty young age. And when that happened, you know, I kind of had this expectation, kind of had this narrative of like, you know, I'll finally be happy when, you know, I have enough money to buy this. And when I actually got that money, I quickly realized that, you know, I still felt like a loser. There's, there's zero difference. And so for a lot of people, they don't really realize this or excuse me, they don't experience this normally. And so they don't realize it. And so early on, I was really questioning what success really meant. And I'm sure everyone has some kind of version of this because, you know, this is sort of the human story. We're brought here on this earth, we're born, and you try your best to figure things out and you try your best to find success. And then usually what happens is we reach success or whatever our definition is, and then we have to go back and realize that that's actually not success. And so when I kind of experienced that at 15, 16, I mean, that began the real domino effect to a point of my life where I was 18 years old. You know, throughout my entire life, I experienced really severe social anxiety. You know, I went off to college and I got super depressed. I um, began socially isolating myself, going, you know, going back to what I was telling you before about being suicidal. And so, you know, I was in that state like from 2015 to early 2016. And I remember, you know, doing a, a wide variety of things. I mean, I did so many little steps looking back at it now that made a difference. It, you know, there wasn't one big thing that just changed the way that I looked at everything. There were a few, several things. I mean, one of them was just traveling. And it was traveling to Egypt, which is where my parents were originally from. And I was born here in America. But it was really interesting to go back and just see how much opportunity they gave me. Because if they never left, I could have still been there and not in you know, America, the land of opportunity and freedom. And so I don't even know if I would have had access to a lot of the things I would have done if they, you know, really didn't take a chance. And it really became almost like a, a metaphor, a trigger, where I began to look past myself and be like, who else can I provide opportunities to? And so that kind of like began my journey of like trying to lose weight. I was overweight. I was over 200 pounds of trying to get out of depression and lifelong social anxiety. Yeah, so I mean, that's kind of how it happened. Yeah, and so in regards to kind of feeling that way from such a young age, especially as a man, like, did you ever feel like you were able to share this side of you when you were younger? Was this something that you had to kind of grow into in terms of sharing these emotions? I know you talk a lot about, you know, emotional uh, strength and a lot of the guests on your podcast talk about emotional strength too and emotional clarity, but how long did it, or what was your process like when you were younger and what has been your process to get there from being suicidal? So some people, you know, they go throughout their lives and, you know, everyone has problems. Everyone has struggles. And some people, they go throughout their lives and they have the right kinds of uh, environment, the right kinds of systems set up, probably from good parenting, the right values, right morals, great environment, great friends, you know, great health, things along that nature. And for those people, you know, you don't have to be suicidal. You don't have to um, get to a point in your life where you're breaking down um, and you can make incremental 
changes. You know, for sure, problems are always going to come, but you can just make incremental changes. And there are people who were, were like me, where you try to escape for something so long, you live in your fears for years, and you don't grow, and you stagnate, and you go down. And for people like that, I mean, for sure, I mean, you can do small little steps, but sometimes you need, you know, sort of a big bang. You need a real moment. And I remember, you know, when I was beginning to realize these things, I remember, you know, I basically went home and I, you know, blew up my entire life. I remember in November of 2016, uh, I remember I just kind of came back to my dorm room when I was still in college and I, you know, bought a whiteboard, I bought a journal and I was like, I'm going to change my entire life around. I need to set goals. I need to think about the future. I need to start writing down my thoughts every day. I need to start eating healthy. I need to start sleeping well. I need to start exercising. I need to start finding legitimate friends that care about me and I care about them. Eventually, as I got healthier and I got the energy, eventually that's when I began to dive into social anxiety. And I began to systematically, you know, almost kind of work on myself like a science project and try to, you know, sort of increase the leverage, the amount of leverage I had over, you know, this mental health issue, which is social anxiety which 40 to 60% of people in America experience and, you know, as well as little kids too, not just adults. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of how it, how it happened. And I mean, there were so many different points in my story, but I think the main thing to just understand is that I'm not like a successful person, you know, just because I made a lot of money doesn't mean that I was truly a successful person. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand that, you can still like do good things in the world. You can still create like a lot of money, but I mean, deep down, you could be just running on fumes. You know, you, the way that I kind of view anxiety is it's a double-edged sword. It's such a powerful energy that I think we're gifted from you know when we come here, and it's up to us to whether to use that and to try to harness that as energy and to make us who we are, or either have it, you know, inflict harm on us and destroy it and destroy ourselves, excuse me, because we don't know how to use it. I mean, I don't think there's any coincidence, the fact that, you know, I literally couldn't talk to people and I couldn't even make direct eye contact. And I just really couldn't be myself for the first, you know, 18 years of my life to today. That's literally all I do. All I do is travel the world and speak to on stages or podcasts or, uh, or radio or write a book about it, or do it on my podcast. And so I think that's what life and kind of looking at this from this angle is all about. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm one of my things is I'm really interested in figuring out how men can make that transformation. And I know you talk about it quite a bit, because I feel like in, in a lot of times, you know, it's, it's something I've never really struggled with is being emotional. One of the things I've often been criticized for in my entire life is being too emotional. And I've always thought, okay, now it's now a a, we a sign of weakness is being too emotional. But I, now I've been able to channel that into a source of strength, which is kind of what you just alluded to. You've been able to channel your anxiety and, and social isolation into a position of strength. 
one of the things I really like about your podcast is it's really great conversation just about really deep, tangible things. Like I've heard talks about mental health, uh, pornography, you know, the, the coming from places from no judgment. But like, what are your thoughts on young men and the struggles that we go through? I, I'd really like to hear your perspective. Like you're 22 years old, I'm 23, and I think we can really speak to our generation. For sure. Well, I think first and foremost, uh, I love everything you said. And I think it has never been a more confusing time to be a human and especially as a young male. And so, you know, there's a wide variety of reasons. I think for one, we have lost touch with a lot of traditions. You know, I'm not pointing to any specific one or, or culture or religion, but I think we have sort of lost a lot of sort of key structures that were created in our society for thousands of years, you know, some of them for sure were bad and some of them were good that I think really sort of signify different checkpoints in our lives. And I think as society has sort of become, especially when it comes to America, for sure, become more individualized because we've never had more wealth, more options, more opportunities. And so for sure, all those things are good, but it's also given us, you know, if anything, too much freedom. And, you know, when I think back to what young men before were sort of like previously doing, not that, you know, we should look at the past necessarily as a model for good, but just to look back at what, how things were and what humans got used to, you know, you look at young males, I mean, we were probably like in the army, we were probably drafted and for war to go invade some other country for maybe a good reason, maybe a not so great reason, or we would just like you know, work all the time. And so I think today there's just a severe amount of guidance in our society and the amount of freedom and options and, and wealth that we have access to is really insane. And I think when you live in that world and you also live in the world where you can access anything, you know, that can definitely set up for a dangerous scenario for sure. And so honestly, I think because of this, you know, this is why you have someone like me, who's 22 years old, writing a, you know, a freaking book about this stuff, because I wish I could, you know, hand this to the younger version of me. And, you know, what you were saying about emotions, and sort of processing them. I mean, it's crazy. There's an entire chapter on this in my book. You know, essentially, what I talk about is this. So, you know, for a lot of my life, I felt like I was never emotional. However, I also relate to what you're saying of being, you know, a, a little bit higher on the emotional side because, you know, I mostly grew up with my mom and my sister that raised me. They're females and they're highly emotional. And so for me, I think I was like just naturally, I'm a very emotional person, but I think it's because of that and because of maybe my higher sensitivity to do that, I think that's one of the factors that ended up, you know, having me have social anxiety because I was way too perceptive of the environment because I was super emotional to other people's feelings. And so I think that's one aspect, but also at the same time, you know, I remember when I began to develop social anxiety, it was almost like I put on this mask to the world to almost protect myself. And I remember when I did that and I began to do different things uh, in my life, you know, essentially I felt like I began to get desensitized and I couldn't feel my emotions because I felt like I was in so much negativity that I was just like, all right, screw it. I'm out of here. And I think by doing that, you know, I didn't necessarily feel the lowest of the low emotions. I also didn't feel good emotions either. 
And so for the longest time, I honestly felt like I was desensitized when it came to my emotions in my life. But then I just realized that the reason why, you know, a big part of my life was like that was because I wasn't operating in the truth of who I am and who my character really is. And like what I'm talking about is, you know, there's a section in my book called truth is the chiropractor of the mind. And truth is essentially the way that our brain structures what's important, what's not important, how we should operate in life. And, you know, going back is because I had social anxiety, because I had such low self-esteem, because I had such low self-confidence, I realized that I was always lying to not just myself, but to other people. And the craziest part about it is like when you lie to other people, like for example, you, you know, you're a kid and you have a rule in your house that says, you know, you shouldn't eat cookies before dinner. And it's before dinner and you run up, you grab a cookie, you eat it, your mom comes downstairs and she realizes that she basically ate the cookie. You have crumbs on your face and she asks you, she's like, yo, Luke, do you eat a cookie? And you, because you love your mom and you don't want her to get upset from you, you say, no, I did not. And so essentially, you know, man, what I've learned is that when you lie in that instant, what you're essentially doing is you're creating a fake version of yourself, a fake version of reality, and you are putting that forward in front of your life while you're taking the truth, the true version of you, and sending that to the back of your life. And so essentially, you do that a ton of times, and you're living so distorted to what's actually going on and to who you are that you aren't even living your own life. And you become desensitized to everything because you don't even know what is important and what's not. And so that for me was a major thing in just sort of like understanding not just my emotions, but the calibration of my emotions, the compass, the internal sort of navigator that is telling me if this emotion is good or bad. Because I mean, listen, I mean, it's very easy to shut down your emotions. You can do that with food, pornography, like you mentioned, really a wide variety of things, and just sort of try to escape. And so, you know, I'm glad I'm a young guy. And I'm glad that a lot of young other young guys look at me. I honestly sometimes don't know what's going on. But I'm glad I at least have some sort of a, a voice and responsibility to do so. Yeah, I think one of the funny things that I'm doing is, you know, once once you start a podcast, people think you might be the end all be all of a certain topic. But it's like I'm only hosting a podcast about masculinity and manhood for my own self-interest. And then, you know, I think other people might be interested in as as well. And it was interesting when you first started answering the question, you said how we've lost some traditional things. And I totally agree with that. So for for example, I've talked a bit on my uh, previous episodes about how, you know, I don't really subscribe to any religion, but at least in those communities, there was men's groups, there was a ways for men to formulate. And it seems like we've kind of lost a lot of that in the traditional sense. And I'm, I forget what book it is, but I'm, I was reading a book recently, it might be Homo Deus by uh, Yuval Noah uh, Harari that I'm currently reading, where he talks about male traditions. Um, I might have the book wrong, but it's, it's all about 
about how, you know, men knew when they became men and then therefore they had accountability on them. They knew because there was a specific step in their life. You know, in in Israel, I know a lot of men go into the army, like the Jewish tradition has bar mitzvah. So they have these traditions where they know when they are an adult, they know when they become a man. And nowadays you really lose a lot of that sense because there's really no age in which you become a man anymore in the traditional sense. And going to the part about emotions and, and learning to, you know, what you said, put them in the back of my head. There was a time when I was in high school and I was really good friends with someone and, you know, I was very vulnerable with them. And I realized that through that friendship, being vulnerable with someone doesn't always guarantee that there's loyalty involved or trust involved. And that can be a sign that you have to retreat those feelings for the rest of your life. And you slowly learn to hide that true piece of yourself. And so one thing I'm very happy about in the last two years is I really pulled that vulnerable emotional side out of me. You know, I was a residence life don up up in Canada. They call that an RA, I think, in the, in the States at, at a lot of universities. And I had a community that had 15 young men on it. And I realized, even though I had many different types of personalities in terms of, you know, 18, 19 year old guys on my floor, they were all fueled by emotion. They weren't fueled by their, their physicality. They all were emotional beings first. And, you know, I always like I knew that, but in seeing it, you know, you see these alpha types, then you see these not so alpha types, the ones that are more emotionally on the outside. But then you have conversations one on one with the more jock or, or alpha male, and you realize that they function the same way I do, the same way everyone does. They've just never been told that they can be comfortable sharing that side. It's repressed. It's almost like that lying aspect where it just becomes that piece of you that you never show. Yeah, you're right on the money, bro. That's what it's all about. And you're just lying to yourself. That's that's worse than lying to other people. 100%. Yeah, that's something that you, I feel like you really have to grow into and something that you have, you know, you talk a lot about self-awareness too. And that's, you were self-aware at a young age and you use that to channel into your podcast to share. And that was almost the exact same reasoning why I'm doing what I'm doing is that that self-awareness. Not really, so I, I, I feel like a lot of people think, self-awareness equals self-assuredness. Like I'm not assured in anything I'm talking about, but I'm aware that I want to talk about it. And so I think sometimes people take those two things and combine them rather than seeing them as as separate topics. Like I am self-aware that I I have a perception of people, but that doesn't mean I'm going to hide that perception of people just because they don't like it. And I think you made a post about that too on your on LinkedIn today, if I'm not not mistaken, you made you made a post about being judged and you know being not being liked comes with the territory of of doing great things. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's like you know you could die tomorrow, and it's like you know I think when you begin to see death, you really begin to see the fragility and the preciousness of life. Uh, it's like those people that have those near death experiences. A lot of the times, they they come out of those being really almost like they're aware now of the potential and, and they, what, what they've taken for granted. That's exactly it, man. Like the moment you realize that, you know, you don't even need to have a near death experience, but you know, you could be 90 and die on like a deathbed. And it's like, you never want to be in that position where, you know, you're wishing you did things. So that to me is like a big negator when it comes to me living my life and, you know, because of people's opinions. And, you know, if you look at it, you know, there's this Australian nurse, Bronnie Ware, 
that worked with patients in palliative care in the last 12 weeks of their lives. And she recorded some of the things that they would say and what their regrets were. And the number one regret that she recorded in every single one of them said they wish they lived their own life and not the lives others expected of them. So when you just think about it, that it's like, wow, I would rather do what I need to do despite other people's opinions, because I know at the end of the day, that's going to be the, the worst thing, like on my soul, on my consciousness. And, you know, you've interviewed a lot of really cool people, and I'm really interested in to hear what some of your guests have said about you know, mental health, masculinity, manhood. Um, has there ever been like a guest who's really come on and shared a, a core piece of wisdom with you? You know, we, we're going through a mass almost transformation of what society deems as toxic masculinity and, and, and healthy masculinity. Uh, but I'm really curious if there's anything that has really stuck out to you from one of your prior guests and, and if you agree with it or disagree with, like I, I really want to always have conversations that are both you know, maybe more on the controversial side or on the more, you know, this is the transformation that's happening. I mean, I think, you know, for me, my podcast is it's ranked under mental health, like the top 50, top 10 for some countries all around the world. And so, um, you know, what I do basically is I bring on people that sometimes talk about this stuff and they're like experts in this or they're not. And they're just maybe successful people. And like, you know, I've talked to the co-founder of Netflix on my podcast about mental health. I've talked to a ton of people about this that, you know, you normally sort of wouldn't expect to speak about these things. And so, I mean, I don't know. I don't think there's any particular guest because, I mean, I'm sitting on like 300 interviews, almost 500 podcast episodes. You know, nothing really specifically comes to mind regarding those topics. But for sure, I've talked about them a lot. I think maybe one is with um, this guy named Jamie Wheel. And he wrote the book with Stephen Kotler called Stealing Fire. His thoughts on society and manhood are pretty interesting. I guess to go into my next question, I know that you know you've you've spoken pretty openly about uh, how you didn't see your your father that much when you were when you were younger, and I def I definitely want to like always go into that relationship if it's if it's okay with you regarding you know you said you grew up more with your sister and your mom, and I'm I'm really interested in how you kind of reflect on that time of you know your dad in your life and and having those sisters around you. Uh, didn't you say something about toxic masculinity? Yeah. And was that was that a question that you want like you like one of my thoughts on it? Yeah, you can share your thoughts on toxic masculinity too, because I always get confused on like kind of what that is, what that's deemed to be, and and I think it's throwing so much of the traditional sense of of manhood as you you were kind of talking about earlier in the trash. So yeah, if you want to give your thoughts on uh, toxic masculinity, by all means. So I think you know, like anything that's portrayed in the media, I think it's definitely skewed, distorted. And I think for sure there are cases where there is uh, an overwhelming sense of dangerous, arrogant, cocky masculinity, for sure. And that also happens on the female side. And I think that definitely exists for sure. And then I also think there's another side to it where, you know, masculinity guys are now just sort of being instantly kind of grouped up into this category against people that sexually assault and rape other people, which is something completely 
you know, that's criminal. So I can, you know, speak on this myself for sure in, in the terms of like, you know, I remember I was reading this uh, USA Today article and it was describing toxic masculinity. And, you know, for sure, some of the keywords they used to describe it like intimidating, that definitely makes sense. Prone to violence, that definitely makes sense. But then they use some other words in there that I don't, that I have a, t- a tough time agreeing with things like having like a lively, motivated ambition, being ambitious, having a ton of energy. They use a lot of kind of those words that, you know, I don't think those things are inherently wrong. Um, And so I think a lot of uh, young males are growing up kind of seeing what's going on in the media and then just kind of being grouped up in sort of umbrella terms of like, all guys are doing this or all this. And it's giving, I think, a lot of people a lot of confusion because, you know, for sure, there are some people do that the same way that you, if you look at any group of people, there's always going to be a percentage of the population that, you know, does some not so great things. But I definitely think that, you know, someone like me, for example, like I've, I've never been violent my entire life. I've never hit anybody. And, um, and I know there's a ton of other people like that, too. You know, I, like all my friends, like most people that you meet are probably going to be like that. But, you know, I think people like us that are pretty harmless can kind of get grouped up in this and then kind of um, influences our behavior. So I don't know. It's a pretty interesting subject. I always find it fascinating because y'all, if you see anything on Twitter, you'll be like, not all men. And, you know, Twitter, I have to stay off it because it's one of the most antagonizing platforms I've ever been on. And when it comes to those tweets, I always find that they're very dangerous in terms of the just like the ideologies that they can put out sometimes. But I do agree that a lot of young men seem lost in the sense of what masculinity is. And, you know, to me, if you grow up in a family that has a, you know, biker dad and and you are around that type of energy, it makes sense that that is the type of energy that you have. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you're not doing anything criminal. I understand that it may not be the healthiest way to channel your emotions but if if they believe that's the healthiest way to channel their emotions who am i to say no like to me masculinity is doing the the healthiest thing for you in terms of your coping that isn't a crime i mean yeah it's an interesting perspective never really thought about it from that way before and one of the greatest things that i've learned is um you know you can actually block out certain words you know i'm not really interested in politics whatsoever I care about them probably 0%. And so I type in a ton of uh, political words. I also don't really care to see other things that I just don't want to see, like tweets about the president or this and that that are just distractions. And so there's like a feature on there where you can type in certain words and then the tweets that have those words don't show up. And so that's been a great help to my life. But for sure, I'm totally with you. Twitter is freaking crazy. However, it's also really awesome, and I've met a lot of great people, and I've made a lot of great opportunities through Twitter as a platform. And so there's um, there's pros, cons, it's you know strengths, weaknesses, costs of doing everything. So yeah, but I definitely agree with you that um, it just definitely seems that there's a lot of lost ideas out there right now uh, regarding what toxic masculinity is and and definitely don't want to be bottled up into these negative accusations. And that's one of the things I always find very interesting too is, you know, you can spend so much time talking about how toxic masculinity is one way, but then if you loop men who don't, I feel like, or, you know, they don't feel like they are part of that group, you really just push them away from your own message, which doesn't make sense for anyone in the long run either. Yeah. I think so. And honestly, I think the reason why a lot of this stuff is happening is because people are just dealing 
with an innate insecurity on their own. And so they're just projecting that onto other people. And so for people that have like social anxiety and people that are shy, that's just one example of a mask of, um, you know, going back to what I was talking about and masks and how, you know, they can almost serve as suits of armor. You know, one, one other one could be, you know, you going to the gym a ton and getting super physically strong and trying to protect yourself from life that way. It could be becoming a comedian and trying to laugh your way through a lot of uncomfortable you know, areas of life. I mean, everyone has a different version of this. For some people, it's drugs and alcohol. It's sort of a different um, mask, a coping mechanism that you can sort of put on. And some of those can serve us and some of those cannot serve us. And I feel like a lot of people are just sort of addicted to various ideologies that they sort of join as a mask. You know, it's a lot easier to blame Trump on this or that or talk about politics and accuse some other group than it is to just look at your own life and take responsibility for what you can control. And so I think a big part of it is uh, I think just a lot of people are lost. And so they're sort of taking it out through these various vehicles of life, whether it's politics or, or, or social media or whatever. Yeah, I definitely feel like there's not enough looking in in the mirror and, you know, holding yourself accountable for the same things that you're kind of projecting out into the world. I, I definitely think that that's something you just alluded to. And accountability is a huge thing that I know a lot of people are, are like pushing right now and talking about. And I definitely agree in, in terms of you know, being yourself and being a man and even just being a human being, you do have to hold yourself to a standard that's promotes the image that you want to promote and and you know it really does it in a healthy way but i know i don't want to take up too much more of your time you know going back to that question regarding you know the impact of fathers in your lives and young men's lives i'm i'm really curious how that kind of transpired to you and what your story is behind all that so like i said my parents uh originally came from egypt with 200 dollars and they really hustled and so you know my dad was working all all the time because we had to survive. So like I said, mostly grew up with my mom and sister. I think that made me much more, like I said, emotional and much more uh, sensitive. But, um, you know, also at the same time, I definitely remember having great memories uh, with my dad. I remember, um, you know, honestly, I think if I have any sense of self-development in my childhood, uh, it was probably with my dad. I remember like whenever him and I were like alone or something, like we would be driving somewhere. I remember he would just like tell me a ton of things like, you know, always, you know, e you know, even if you fall down many times, just always keep going, always lift yourself back up. Your integrity and being honest with people is one, is one of the most important things. You know, it's important to have systems around you that can um, help keep you happy and successful. And so, I mean, he definitely taught me a ton of awesome things. And I also think that, you know, if I learned anything about the hustle, if I learned anything about working hard, probably by seeing my dad do that, even though he didn't, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily talking to me about it all the time. And so, yeah, and I, I have a great relationship with my dad. I talk to him every single day. I uh, hang out with him all the time. We're great pals. And yeah, and so, I mean, I'm very grateful. He's a pretty funny guy. And he's very smart, too. And, uh, and yeah. And so to go into my, my last three questions bef before, um, you know, you can give a little bit of a more in-depth talk about uh, your book and what you got going on in your life. What is one thing that your father or any other role model uh, told you or life advice that they gave you that sticks with you every day? 
Yeah, so I don't think it's what advice I got from my dad or what he told me, but I think it was, uh, you know, I remember I had this like particular story where I was 15 years old or 14 or 15, and I got into kind of like the habit or not the habit, the hobby of having like an aquarium, having fish. And so that really interested me, sort of like, you know, marine aquariums and the ocean and fish and all the different kinds of species and stuff. And I remember going to Petco with my dad once, the pet store. You know, me buying these, me wanting to buy these three fish, and each one of these fish costed three dollars. Okay, so three fish, each each one is three dollars. That should be nine dollars. Tax maybe th- like ten bucks. And so, you know, I get the fish. I go to the register. The lady charges me three dollars, and I, you know, I don't even remember if I realized it or not. But I just gave her the three dollars, or I think I gave her ten dollars, and she gave me change back. And then I remember like looking at the receipt after when my dad and I already left. And I told him, I was like, oh, wait, she she only charged me like once instead of charging me three times, which she should have. And, you know, I'm pretty sure we were like already on the highway. And he basically turned the car around and he was like, we got to go back and tell them and give them the rest of the money. And I remember I was so pissed off. I remember I was like, wait, why the hell are we turning back around? Why don't we just keep going home? It's not that big of a deal. And so we went back there and um, we told the lady at the register and she's like, oh, okay. I mean, that's not a big deal. You know, my apologies. It was my mistake. You know, you don't have to give us the rest of the money. It's our mistake, our problem, like no worries. And so, you know, I think through that lesson, I mean, that I think that completely changed me because I kind of learned through an experience that, again, what I said of like holding honesty as a really high important value and just the integrity of your character and how that shines across through your actions and what you do, not just what you say. I think that totally, you know, it has become probably the number one foundation in my life that's really been a true North Star that always moves you forward. Because like I said, truth is the chiropractor of the mind. And so truth and honesty are, you know, cousins, and you can't have one without the other. And so I think truth is great, because it, you know, helps you destroy your ego. It helps you realize that you don't know everything. It helps you realize that, you know, you have to open your mind, and you have to ask questions, you have to learn. You have to go on the journey of trying to uncover things that you don't know. And so you can't do that if you have an ego. And so I'm very glad I learned that value of the truth and honesty. No, that's a that's a really, really beautiful story. I think there's a couple of sound bites in there that, uh, especially that one about how truth and honesty are cousins and you can't have one without the other. I, I think that was a that was a beautiful quote. My my second last question that I always ask people is what is one thing you wish your father or another male role model told you that really would have helped you in your life? I think one thing that I wish I was told is that nobody has any idea what's totally going on. And I remember, you know, growing up through life, and I remember just thinking that, like, adults, they just, like, know everything. Adults are always right. And when you look at life from that way, that's a very shallow point of view. Because essentially what you're looking at is you're looking at everyone's successes, everyone's titles, everyone's accolades. And you are not actually treating them as a human being. But worse than that is you begin to just set unrealistic expectations for yourself. This kind of goes on the line of like, I wish, you know, whether it was my dad or whether it was other people that just, I mean, I guess males were just more open. The reason why I'm talking about mental health in my book, Social Anxiety, Screw Being Shy, is because 
for sure there's a lot of people talking about it now, but it's still a very much message that needs to get out there. And so I wish people would have told me that, like, not everyone has their stuff figured out. Not everyone's perfect. You're always going to have problems. Nobody has it figured out. And so you don't need to pretend to be perfect or to try to, you know, manage your self-image to a perfect, you know, sort of identity because it's never going to happen. Yeah, I think that's amazing, too. I've had that conversation with my parents and starting it, too, is like, I have so much respect for them. But I also know at the same time now that everyone's kind of walking through this life, not really knowing what's going on. And we all think we know best, but we only know best for us. And half the time, we don't even know what's best for us, to be honest. Like, it's really fascinating to feel that. So I definitely agree with that would be a really good piece of advice to, to know when when you're young. But then, you know, you kind of lose that uh, attitude of your parents are superheroes and your parents are the, the main guiding source when you're young. So uh, I think we, definitely we all need to come into that at our own pace. But my last question for you now is what is one thing that you want to pass on to future generations? It would be my book that comes out March 14th. That's because I'm 22 years old and this is my first book. And I know I have a lot of other books out there inside of me that I just need to get out. You know, the reason why I decided to choose social anxiety as a main thing to tackle is because being shy being overly shy, having social anxiety is a meta problem. It's a meta issue because it stops you from communicating to others and also yourself. And when you're in there, when you can't talk to others, you can't ask for help. And so that opens the door to being hopeless, substance abuse, social isolation, that's connected to suicide. If people are overly shy and not themselves and socially anxious, then they can't actually be themselves they can't step into the potential of who they could be that's super important because we need people to solve the world's problems and so i could have become a statistic which could have stopped me from doing what i'm doing now and helping the people that i'm going to help and you know set them on fire for people that specifically deal with social anxiety and being overly shy and being mislabeled as an introvert I'm trying to help those people because that's a problem I've dealt with for the last 10 years. So that's what I would package up and send to the world. Well, Mark, uh, that's all the questions I believe I have for you. I'm really excited to for your book to come out on March 14th. I'm definitely going to buy a copy of it and read it, probably do a review as well. I'm starting a new series on on LinkedIn about that. I just did my first, uh, my first book review today. Um, so I'm trying to make that a consistent thing. So I'll definitely do that. Check it out. Buy it. I recommend all my imperfect listeners to buy it. Check it out as well. You know, Mark is a, is a young, you know, 22-year-old male really trying to figure out in this world and, and doing his best to do it. And I think a lot of the things that you'll read in this book are exactly what I'm trying to talk about and discuss on this podcast regarding finding your self-identity and really figuring out who you are in this world and how you can best be yourself on the daily. So Mark, thank you so much for being a guest. Uh, is there any one last piece of knowledge you want to drop for, for my listeners? I mean, I would just say, you know, if you face being overly shy, you feel like you don't know how to be yourself in front of people that you both don't know but would want to know, or, you know, even people that you love, or you, you know, have uh, maybe a, a child or you have a cousin or something that you feel like kind of struggles with this. I would just say, check out my book, Screw Being Shy. 15% um, of all of the profits are donated to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And yeah, I mean, I'm just writing this book because um, these ideas need to get out there in the world because I really don't see them 
you know, too many places. And it's, it's unfortunate because it can help a lot of people's lives that are, you know, as talented as me, but maybe just had a couple of problems, had a couple of boundaries that they had in front of them. And so I'm trying to help people become the guide to themselves to find their own problems and solutions. And so that's what my book's all about. You know, because of my background, because of the fact that I've interviewed uh, almost 300 people now, I've read so many books. I know what makes a good book and I know what doesn't. And for sure, I'm sure my book is not going to be the best because it's my first. But, you know, I have made this book super practical. There are exercises at the end of every chapter. Uh, It's all backed up by scientific research while also, you know, kind of providing a story narrative. So it's not just like super boring information, you know, really worked hard on this. And uh, if you know anyone that struggles with this, like yourself or family member, someone you love, definitely grab a copy for them too. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark, uh, for being a guest. Man, I look forward to staying connected and following your journey. Thank you, Luke. I appreciate you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been your host, Luke West, with his guest, Mark Metry. You can find him on Instagram at Mark Metry and on Spotify and Apple at the Humans 2.0 podcast. As for his LinkedIn, you can find him on LinkedIn and on his website, markmetry.com. You know, in terms of this episode, I really hope you enjoyed it. Please leave a review. Please check out his book. It's available on Amazon and I believe a few other places. I'll definitely link those in the description of this episode once I get those links and once March 14th comes around. Please leave a review or message me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear what you have to say and what you learned. And let's build a world of intentional and purposeful conversations. And thank you to my editor, Matt McClelland, for all his hard work editing these podcasts. He's done a fantastic job and uh, that's why they're so high quality now. So I'll see you all on Friday with Follow Up Friday. <laughs>